and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, Destiny Church. How are we doing this morning? Hey, it's Sunday. You made it. You made it through another week. You made it to church. For some of you, that is an accomplishment. Uh, If you are new to Destiny Church, um, we want to welcome you. If you're a part of our 6-8, if you're in 6th to 8th grade, you guys are released right now to go to your class uh, and learn all about Jesus. If you're new and want to go to 6-8, go for it. That's great. <laughs> Whatever. I don't My name is Josh. I'm one of the, the pastors here on staff and uh, kind of filling in for Pastor Mark as he is on a much-deserved vacation this past week. Can we honor our campus pastors, Mark and Abigail? We love them. They've been here for two years, doing an incredible job, love seeing how God is using them uh, to further his kingdom and his goodness. And uh, as most of you or some of you may know, we are one church with two locations. And the man who was on the screen, Pastor Chad, is our lead pastor, our founding pastor. He, He heads up our Republic campus. And as he said, today we're going to begin a new journey, a new series called Kingdom Culture. And my hope for today my prayer for this series is that each week someone would walk out of here and say, I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to seek out and put on display what it means to live a kingdom culture. I don't want to be overrun by the world and what the world says is true, but I want to be rooted in what Jesus says is true, what his word says is true, and what the gospel says is true about me. And not just about me, but about other people. I want to live with a perspective that is kingdom focused and help carry a culture that is kingdom minded. Everything is upside down, backwards. In the kingdom, everything is just the opposite of what we think it should be. Like in the world, the first is first, but in the kingdom, the first are actually last. And in order to find your life, you have to lose your life. And you're to use your position not to be served, but to serve other people. This is kingdom mentality, upside down and backwards from what the world says. In kingdom culture, performance has no stake. You're not trying to earn something. You receive something that has been freely given to you, and it's called grace. You can't earn grace, but you can't accept it based on what Jesus has already done for you, which flips the script on how we're wired, right? We're always trying to do more, gain more, earn more, gain approval. No, that's not what the gospel says is true. Kingdom culture says every life has purpose. Every life has meaning. Heaven is open and you and I have been invited. It sets apart God's people to do the works of God for the glory of God and the good of those who love him. So today I need you to hang with me a little bit. Uh, May even need you to set aside some preconceived notions that you have, that you've carried in, that you've gained over the years, what the world's told you, what culture's told you, maybe even what your family's told you, what your parents have taught you, Um, because the heart behind this series and this year is that you and I would be transformed further into the image of Christ. And the only way we're going to do that is if we take a real look at our lives, our filters and what we're doing, if we challenge ourselves and that our hearts would be actually changed to live as kingdom people. A transformation will only take place when we step towards the kingdom. That through transformation, 
We can influence the world. We can change the world, but we first have to be changed ourselves. And I believe it can start with you and me today. So uh, while I'm speaking collectively to everybody in the room, I want you to understand, I, I want to speak to you individually. Each individual person. I'm speaking to the whole, but I want to speak to the individual. And so the, the scripture we're going to unpack today, it's not hidden in the Bible somewhere. Um, many of you have probably read it. It's the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. It's in red letters, what we're going to read. And uh, yeah, it's not obscure. It's right out there in the open. So let's turn to the book of Matthew, um, first book in the New Testament. And uh, while I was putting together this message, I realized, uh, you know, there's like five passages or five verses in this passage, and I wasn't getting past the first two. Um, and so for the sake of context, I'm going to read all of the passage, but for the sake of time and you all not walking out to get lunch too soon, I'm going to stick to the first two verses. And, and honestly, if, if we can grab a hold of what the first two verses of this passage says, the rest of it's going to fall into place. The rest of it's going to naturally occur. So I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to read the text. We're going to talk about it for a little while. I'm going to make some points um, and then we're going to see what happens from there. Okay. Jesus, thank you for these moments that we get to share with one another, um, where we get to come in and be influenced, be encouraged, be shaped, molded, and um, re-centered um, by your word, by your spirit. Uh, spirit, may you move today. May we position our hearts in a posture that says, change me, transform me, and do what only you can do. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. And it's in your name. Pray. Everyone said, amen. Okay. Matthew 5, Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, red letters, means Jesus said it. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. <laughs> Years ago, I began to wrestle with this question of who is my enemy? And honestly, it came about, the question came up in my mind um, after I heard the news of Osama bin Laden being killed. 9-11 um, attacks, evil man, plotted unthinkable and horrendous acts, was dead. He'd been brought to justice, and the world was a better and a safer place for it. 3,000 people had died. And 20 years later, we still feel the impact of what happened that day. If you were alive and understood what was going on, you, as soon as I said it, you knew exactly where you were when you heard the news. That's the type of impact it had. So there's part of me that's celebrating this. Good. I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad he's gone. I'm glad we caught him. And there's another part of me that remembered these words of Jesus. And I begin to wrestle with these words of love your enemy. Love your enemy. Suddenly it was very real to me what it looked like to have an enemy. My enemy wasn't obscure, but he had a face. Love your enemy. And which led me to the question, who is my enemy? Who is my enemy? 
And you might be sitting there asking, Josh, why are you wrestling with this? Why would you wrestle with this? Because in my understanding is that unless he received Christ before he died, the man's in hell. Now we can probably agree that's maybe what he deserved. And while part of me was okay with it, that he got what he deserved, my soul was stirred. Because if God's not okay with people going to hell, and the evidence that God's not okay with people going to hell is that he sent his son to a cross to prevent us from going, if God's not okay with it, why am I okay with it? And so there's this wrestle going on inside of me of, wow, this is a gut check moment. He's evil, and I understand that. But God says to love. So what does that look like? And that's what I want to unpack today. And I don't stand in front of you with all the answers or even an answer outside of, honestly, Jesus. I stand in front of you telling you I still wrestle with this. Like it's a daily just, ah, I don't know what to do in this tension. And my hope is to challenge the way you look at the world. Challenge the way you look at people around you. And point you to Jesus and ask, who is my enemy? Like, who, who is my enemy? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. You see, the driving force of kingdom culture is love. People can be manipulated by fear. They can be motivated by guilt, but they'll be moved by our love. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I speak with eloquence, but I'm not driven by love, I'm creating noise. And the world is already a pretty noisy place. Would you agree? Noise of division, hatred, stereotypes, racism, attacks, abuse. So how do we cut through the noise of the world in order to hear what love is saying? Will you live out a kingdom culture of love to the people in your world, the people you come into contact with? You live out kingdom culture to the people in your life. You not only love your neighbor, but you begin to love your enemy as well. Because loving your neighbor and your enemy says, I want to be different. I'm not going to settle for what the world says. I want to be different from the world because Christ has called me out from the world to be different. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. In this scene where Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he's speaking to his disciples and a number of people who have gathered around him. And he's, he's actually quoting an Old Testament law from Leviticus at this point, where he, when he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. He's quoting Leviticus. It's going to be on the screen. Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the idea of loving people is not a new concept attached to Jesus. It's not something new. It's a central truth of the scriptures. And sometimes we get in this mindset that the God of the Old Testament is angry and he's vengeful and he's full of wrath and punishment and hellfire and damnation. And somewhere along the way, Jesus comes along. And it's like, ah, I love everybody. Let's just all get along, pat each other on the back, do whatever we want, get away with it. And that's not the story. 
because we actually read Jesus quoting the Old Testament. He says, love your neighbor. So love was in God's plan all along. Now, when Jesus said, love your enemies, he didn't romanticize it. It, it, This is not a simple love. This is not like I love pizza. This is a complicated, complex love. And it's not a wishful thinking love either that says, "Ah, I just I hope my enemy stops believing and living the way he does. Jesus's love isn't a fairy tale story. It's a gospel story. It's a good news story. It's not anything goes emotion driven love. It's not let's all get along, sing kumbaya love. That's not love at all. That's tolerance masquerading as love. That's something completely different. When Jesus says, love your enemies, he means to love them, love them and hate the thing that is destroying them. So the question, can you love your enemy by hating the thing that is destroying them? Jesus is saying, you know the law, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, God is better than that. I'm telling you, love your enemies and bring out, let them bring out the best in you. Let your enemy bring out the best in you. Oh, kingdom culture. Yep. Flip the script. Everything's backwards. Everything's different from what we expect. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love for your neighbor. That's a little easier, right? We kind of see where that's coming from. The neighbor would have been the people who were just like them. Your neighbor is someone who's just like you. They act the way they, you do. It's the people you hang out with. They dress like you do. They talk like you do. They have the same accent as you. They have the same skin color a lot of times as you. They come from the same hometown as you. They believe the same things. They look the same. They say the same things. Loving your neighbor, it's not always easy, but I mean, come on. It's easier than loving your enemy, right? Loving your neighbor is easier than loving the enemy. So we we see where loving your neighbor comes from. It's born out of Leviticus 19. But what about the hate your enemy part? What's, What's Jesus quoting there? And the shocking truth is nowhere in scripture does it teach God's people to hate your enemy. Nowhere. In fact, most scholars believe that what Jesus is quoting, hate your enemy, was a twisted teaching that found its way in to the culture of Jesus's day. And just like Jesus does, he's correcting the course of what the people are taking. He's showing what it really means and what it really looks like to follow God. So you have this twisted teaching of hate your enemy that is something that God has never told his people to do. Hate your enemy was actually using God's name in vain. It was breaking a commandment was attaching his name to something he never had anything to do with. So who was the enemy Jesus referred to? Who was the enemy in the minds of the people that sat at Jesus's feet? Well, it would have been anyone different from them. Just like it's anyone different from us today. It's those people. You know those people. Those people over there. Oh, you know how those people act. We say that. You know how they act. You know how they are. I don't understand them, but those people, it's them. It's the Gentiles in the area. It's the the Roman soldiers who were pagan believers in the area. The world superpower occupying their land, those people. 
It was anyone who wasn't Jewish. It was anyone who was different, who was not like them, who didn't think like them, dress like them, believe like them, act like them, sound like them. That's our enemy. And you know what? We're God's people. So if they're our enemy, they're God's enemy too, right? That's the conclusions we come to every single day. I'm so glad the the scriptures aren't anywhere relevant to our day and age. We don't ever face anything like this, except we do every single day. And somehow us over here and those people over there became us versus them. Those who are in with God and those who are out with God. But the love that Jesus is talking about when he says, love your enemy, it's really easy to see. We can see it displayed in every time he interacted with people in the scriptures and the stories. It's displayed in how he treated people. Remember, Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. And as Pastor Chad said, he would have been sitting um, with people around him teaching about God and God's will and what it meant to follow God. And, and every rabbi, every teacher had an interpretation of the scriptures. So just like we have pastors today, that if, if you gave four pastors uh, the same passage of scripture, you'd have 50 different views as the joke goes, right? And there'll be overlapping of those And they're all hopefully heading in the same direction, but largely interpretations differed among rabbis. And Jesus has come along and said, no, I actually wrote this. So I know how to interpret it. I know how to talk about it. And you have it all wrong. And so I'm going to correct the course and we're going to start going this way. I'm going to really teach you what it means to follow God, to carry out God's will. And this, this interpretation would have been called his yoke. And all rabbis did this. They had an opinion. They had a yoke and their disciples would put on that yoke takes on a whole new meaning of my yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? It's that rabbi's teaching. So Jesus is teaching his followers, his disciples, his yoke. Now, when Jesus sits down, he says, love your enemy. This was a completely new yoke. This was a completely new mindset. This is blowing people's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out we see where you get the love, your neighbor, but you're saying to love our enemies. How can we do that? You want us to love those people? And Jesus is like, yeah, because my teaching is different. See, my, my, my yoke is different. My kingdom is different. It's not like what you think it was. So this love is a love that's different. It shifts our perspective. It breaks down walls of injustice and sets out to eliminate the those people mentality. Those people. It's a love that's inclusive and not exclusive to a few. Christ came for all. The gospel is for everyone. The invitation on the table for you and me today is for every single one of us. It's a love that looks different, acts different, thinks different, speaks different. It sounds different. It's more beautiful, and yet it's a different type of beauty altogether. Beauty that's sacrificial. It's actually worthy of the kingdom that God wants to build through us. It's a lay down your life kind, go after the one kind, beyond simply feeling good to a place of actually doing good for my enemy. 
It's a love that forces us to look inward and go, oh, wait a minute. Uh, moment of self-reflection. I need the gospel too. I needed Jesus's grace. I needed his forgiveness. I was out, but he brought me in. I was those people. I was those people. So kingdom culture is led by love. And maybe that's a starting place for you today. Maybe you're projecting rejection into the lives of others because that's how you feel. You've heard it said to hurt people, hurt people, right? We're not going to be a church of hurting people who hurt people. We're going to live differently. We're going to, we may be hurting, but we're going to help bring healing. The gospel is for you. You need to know you have worth. You have value. You have dignity. People love you. The gospel is for you as much as it is for everyone. Every single person in here needs to be reminded of that. The gospel and the grace of Jesus is for me. Because some of you are your own worst enemy. Some of you need to let yourselves off the hook for something that happened a long time ago. Some of you need to forgive yourself of something you had no control over. The story of the kingdom culture is a story of love for you too. Radical, unashamed love. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. But there's a giant elephant in the room, right? Because evil is still real. It's like, yeah, but evil's still real. So even though the story of kingdom culture and the story of God is led by love and I understand, but Josh, evil is still real. So there's this wrestle, there's a tension in the, in the story. There's love that we know and there's love that we receive and that we're love that we're grateful for. But the truth is there's also a lot of hate in the world. There's a lot of division. Uh, there's a lot of evil people who do evil things like bin Laden. So it's not like we blindly allow people to do whatever they want. It's not like we say, well, you hurt me, but okay, it's fine. You stole from our company, but bah, you get away with it. It's okay. You know, you did that thing over there, but you know what? Ah, you stole my Ferrari. I don't even care. You don't even like it. It's fine. Whatever you want to do. No, that's not love either. We don't blindly ignore. We remember that the gospel isn't a fairy tale. The gospel is truth. And the gospel says, yes, I love you. And, and because I've been forgiven, I can forgive you of the act that you committed against me. But there's still consequences to your sin. You're still going to go before a judge. Like you still have a court date that you have to appear to. There's still punishment for breaking laws. So the gospel isn't a fairy tale. It's grace and truth. And people commit evil acts every day. We don't write them off. We don't rubber stamp them. There's arson and murder, and sex trafficking, and robbery, and rape, and kidnapping, and slave trade, and drug dealing, and embezzlement, and pedophilia. There's abuse of multiple kinds, whether it's verbal, or physical, or mental. It's emotional. We don't just rubber stamp these things. They're real crimes, real sin, and real even evil in the world that has real ramifications. Yeah. The gospel isn't a fairy tale. It's full of grace and truth. And so, if we aren't careful, we kind of slide into this mentality of, well, it's okay because I've been forgiven and they can just get away. No, 
oh, you got to love the sinner and hate the sin. Yeah, you do. You do have to love the sinner and hate the sin, but love the sinner and hate the sin can lend to an oversimplification of God's intended love for each of us. The tendency of love the sinner and hate the sin is to unintentionally disconnect the sin from the sinner. It's not the person. It's just the sin. They're just going through some stuff. Yeah, they're going through your front door. They drove their car. They were drunk. (laughs) They have to pay for that. Nah, it's fine. I've been forgiven. I can forgive them. It's not how it works. And we disregard the action. We can downplay and sometimes justify what was done. It's like, no, Judy, you're just being a jerk right now. Why are you acting that way? Sometimes Judy is just being a pill. She needs to be called out on it. It's not okay. It's not the devil made me do it. Real love doesn't disconnect from the sin from the sinner. Real love took on the sin of the sinner. Jesus' real love provided a way for the sinner to be set free. Not just make you and I feel better or gloss over the evil that's taking place. So yeah, there's a, there's a yeah, but what about this elephant? What about the evil in the room? There's so much in the world and it's real. But let's not forget where we came from. Paul writes in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still far off, while we were still God's enemy, Christ died for us. And like God did for us, you and I cannot claim to love someone and remain detached to the evil that is destroying them. God couldn't claim to love us and do nothing to rescue us from the evil and the sin that we were living in. So he sent his son. Because to love your enemy is to hate the very thing that makes them evil. It's not to run from it. It's to run into it with love and trust God is going to take care of it. That's what it looks like to be different. It's actually do the opposite of what we think we should do. Kingdom culture says love them just as Christ did with you and me. Second Corinthians 4, 4, Paul's writing to this church in Corinth and he says, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This is probably where the devil made me do it mentality came from. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He would go on to say that God made his light shine into the believer's heart, revealed Jesus to them, and things changed. But the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the unbeliever, and they haven't seen Jesus yet. So if you know of unbelievers, they've been blinded by Satan, the God of this age. They're walking in darkness. They're trapped in their sin, and it's because of the true enemy, Satan. Once you were blinded to this same truth, but God shined his light in your heart and everything changed. God shined a light in your heart and opened your eyes to see Jesus for who he is. Changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe even your kids, your family. The God of this age that blinded you to the truth is still blinding people every single day. And their life is probably pretty similar to what your life looked like. Evil. Sinful, disgusting, separated from God on a path that would lead to hell. So it's not only the evil they commit, but our hearts are broken 
because of where evil is taking them. Remember, we can't love our enemy without hating the thing that is taking them away from God. Put another way, love for our enemy means hating how they have joined the God of this age who wants nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy them. This this destruction leading to their damnation. And are our hearts broken for those who are heading to hell, separated from God? It's like, well, okay. Oh, wow. That's heavy. Yeah, it is. It's a responsibility. It's a command. It's a call. It's a purpose for your life. Well, what do we do? Well, we carry something different. We carry something that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We carry love. And I have a couple of points. Um, I'm going to make three points to send you out the door with today. The thing that makes us different from the world, the thing that sets us apart is love. Love is the catalyst of kingdom culture. Love is the catalyst of kingdom culture. John 3.16, everybody knows it. People in the church, people outside the church know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This this has become a part of American culture, if you will. Oh, John 3.16, I'm going to write it right here. Show the world. Love is a catalyst of kingdom culture. Point number two, love is the command of kingdom culture. Love is the command of kingdom culture. A little later in John, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the thing that distinguishes us as Christians, the thing that we're to be known by or ought to be known by is our love for one another. Point number three, love is the cost of kingdom culture. Love is the cost of kingdom culture. Jesus looked past what it would cost him to see what it would buy us. Jesus could see the cross and he could see what it would cost him, but he could also see beyond the cross and see that the cross would buy our salvation. Love is the cost of kingdom culture. Jesus saw the evil it was doing to us and in love, he did something different. Now a product of the spirit that now resides inside of the believer, a product of the spirit is love. Paul says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit is love. So we are in a kingdom that promotes love that should be producing love for the world to see. Everyone to see. But love always costs. So it's going to cost you something. Living out a kingdom culture is going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. So to walk out of here today and say, I want to live different, it's going to cost you. It may cost you a reputation you've been building for the past 40 years. It may cost you who you think you're supposed to be around certain people. It may cost you friends you've had. Like when you hear people laughing or attacking or using language to demean or, or derogatory in a sense, you know that the spirit's not involved in that conversation. Oh, it might get the laugh. The joke might get a couple of ha-has, but it forfeits the love. So I realize, you know, around destiny, we like to say a punch and a hug. And 
feel like I've been throwing some haymakers today, like just in a boxing ring. And there's a lot of punches being thrown, I admit, like a lot of punches that I've been taking on the last however many years and not a lot of hugs. But I, I think sometimes we need tough love. We need to be punched in the mouth every once in a while, woken up. Really, what's going to wake you up more than a punch in the mouth? We need someone to say, I love you, but you're being a complete jerk. I, I love you, but you're a tool bag right now. When you talk that way, you sound like an idiot. You got to stop. There's no place for that in the kingdom culture. There's no place for that in what God is trying to do with you and your life. Some of you, you've just been living in hatred, distaste for someone long enough. You've been fighting the hostility and plotting revenge for years, and you're just waiting for your moment. And God has got a moment for you that he says, no, you're not waiting for your moment to take revenge. I want you to take that moment and turn it. I want to turn it into redemption for your soul. I want to turn it into redemption for that, for that situation, for your family, for your friends. I want to restore a relationship just as God did with us. For some of you, it goes so far as that person's name. You can't hear that person's Judy. <laughs> Blood just starts boiling when you hear that person's name. I can't even say. I'm not even talking about the person. I know it, but it's their name. Carry a different name. Let the name of Jesus redeem that relationship. Let the name of Jesus speak life into that relationship. You don't have to live this way. You don't have to carry around the hate. God wants you to let it go. Open up your fist. Receive that grace. Remember what it's like. Be different. I think the question on the table for every single one of us isn't, should I love my neighbor? If you haven't been paying attention up until this point, I'm going to tell you, you can walk out with one thing. Yes, love your neighbor and your enemy. But that's where it gets difficult. Oh, I should love my enemy? Yeah. Well, but, well, who is the enemy? Who do I hold hatred towards in my heart? And what does it look like for me to love them? Mm. What did it look like for Jesus to love us? Meet them where they are. It's easy to claim the promises of scripture where we benefit. It's easy to stand on the promises of God when it uplifts us, when it makes us feel better, when we're claiming that verse, yeah, this is mine. I'm going to run into the day with this verse. God has plans for me. He's got a purpose for me. He's for me. That's easy. But that's not the end of the story God wants to tell with your life. Jesus has more for you and for me than for us to feel good about where we're going when we die. Jesus wants us to see the kingdom is near. He is near. And remember, once you were an enemy of God, living in sin, blind to his goodness, why should I love my enemy? Why? Not just because it's the right thing to do, because it's what God did for you. God loved you when you were his enemy. And I think sometimes we take this for granted, this 
good news, this gospel that God loved us when we were still his enemy, we take it for granted. We've heard it, we've experienced it, we've received it, we prayed a prayer, we've been trying to live it out. Maybe we've even taught on it, but somewhere along the way, it doesn't amaze us anymore. It's like, yeah, heard it. 40 years I've been hearing that same message. I wonder if the amazement might return if we were able to actually love our enemy and our neighbor again. It's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Judy is, yeah, but God, she is just a, I know, I know. I created her. I want you to love her. But you don't understand. Let it go. The amazement of the gospel will come to life. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. You don't understand what I've gone through, Josh. What they put me through. You don't understand what loving them would mean to me and my family. Those people, they worked against me. They talked about me. They turned their back on me. They abandoned me when I needed them. They pretended they didn't know me. They lied about me. They cheated. They rejected. They abused and they made fun of me. You don't understand the tears I've cried over it. And you're right, I don't. I really don't. I can't stand here and say I've walked in your shoes. I don't understand what you've gone through. I I don't understand what you're up against. I don't fully understand what it would mean for you to love them, but I do understand that Jesus does. He gets it. And I understand that Jesus died for every sin committed against you because those people, he died for them too. when they plotted against him, when those people betrayed him, when they left him, when they denied him, when they lied about him, when they falsely accused him, when they disowned him, when they beat him, when they mocked him, and when they nailed his body to a cross to die for their sins. Jesus gets it. And his response is he gave his life for them loved his enemies. He did something different. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't understand. Jesus died for those people too. And if we're not careful, church can just be this place that a lot of happy people who kind of look the same and act the same and think the same and believe the same all gather together once or twice a week and we celebrate and those things are great and I'm not taking away from those. But A lot of times I feel like we're celebrating we're not like those people. Glad I'm not like them anymore. And it's easy to forget that Christ sent someone to us to pull us out of our darkest moment and now has commissioned us to do the same for others. Church isn't just a place we gather. Church is a place we invite. We're all guilty of sin. And the reality is all of us were those people. We were all once enemies, separated from our Father, dead in our sin. But Jesus moved on your behalf and on my behalf. And it wasn't pity that drove him. It was love. Love was the driving force. And when he hung on that cross, God decided kingdom culture would most generously and gloriously be revealed in a crucified and risen king. Oh, that's the way. This is going to blow their minds. They're hanging him on a cross. They're going to put him in a grave. Wait till they see what happens in three days. 
I'm going to do something different. I'm going to blow their minds. It was different than what the world expected. So when you're faced with loving your neighbor, do something different. When you're faced or you're given the opportunity to to love your enemy, do something different. Do something unexpected. Because Jesus is enough. And you don't have to live that way. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.